the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were given to the average American, the rich would have their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a really great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once it's in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So let's supercharge your wealth building plan now with Jim McAleese. Welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is <clears throat> this is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies, strategies to help you foster. We look at the big picture and then develop plans, plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, Please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and Civic, and Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. Are you ready for the Labor Day weekend? This is that long weekend that signals, in my mind, the end of summer. We're still trying to recall all the things that we did this summer. <laughs> the summer just got, yeah, it just flew by in the wink of an eye. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't even see this Labor Day weekend coming. Yeah, now the kids are back in school, or they are either in indoctrination or getting ready to go back, back to school, whatever. And now you see that... Uh, some people are starting to get ready for the fall. Don't worry. The fall doesn't officially start until September 22nd, so you do have time. And maybe there will be more, some more hot days, the temperatures in the 90s. I would bet on it, but the summer has been good with the uh, warm days, but have very, very few really hot days. So I'd consider it to be a perfect summer. Some people... We'll be traveling this long weekend, but some of us, probably most of us, will be trying to work off that long weekend list that's just a little bit longer than usual. And that's not to say that uh, we won't find the time to relax and spend some time with family and friends, uh, probably outside at the barbecue, but most of the time will be spent on things around the house, mostly outside if weather permits. Uh, this weekend... We'll need to get serious about planning any trips that we want to uh, make before the cold weather. Uh, you know, you can see from the <clears throat> airlines and stuff like that that they're getting jammed up pretty rapidly. And also, any major outside projects that need to be completed in the good weather. You have to take into account that uh, getting hold of contractors and getting them scheduled and uh, getting the job done before the cold weather 
is going to be difficult because there aren't that many of them. And to take our minds off those long to-do lists, we can take some time to check on our economy and seeing how that's affecting our investment. This week, global equities were mixed, but mostly down. In the U.S., the three major stock indices were down for the week, while in the U.K., the FTSE was down. And in the European Union, there was kind of a give and take. The German DAX was up. I don't know how that was possible because, you know, Russia is still uh, turning the screws on their gas uh, pipelines to Germany and uh, shutting that pipeline down for more uh, repairs and stuff like that. And that was the stock Europe 600 uh, was basically down. So the DAX was up and the stock Europe 600 was down. Asia was mostly down. Japan, the DK225 was down. And in uh, China, the Shanghai Composite, uh, Hong Kong, Hang Seng were both down for the week. On Friday, the three major stock indices closed at the Dow Jones, closed at 31,318.44, and it was down 2.99% for the week. And the Standard and Poor 500 uh, closed at uh, 3,924.26, and that was down 3.29% for the week. And the NASDAQ closed, NASDAQ Composite closed at 11,630.86, and it was down 4.21% for the week. This week, the equity markets were still, basically, they're still trying to wrestle around and come to terms with the uh, Federal Reserve's uh, crusade to uh, raise the interest rates until inflation comes down from 8.5% to 8.5% to 2%. Uh, you know, and I guess in September 13th, we'll hear more about the latest CPI numbers. But right now, the CPI Consumer Price Index stands at uh, 8.5%. The Federal Reserve Chairman uh, put the fear of God in the equities markets uh, uh, about a week ago at that uh, Jackson Hole Symposium, where he indicated that the Federal Reserve has only one priority, and that is to get inflation down. Uh, so, you know, the, the fears that the Federal Reserve uh, plans for the interest rate increases will push the economy into a recession have, have basically stoked a lot of uh, volatility in the market. And that fear of recession is one of the principal contributors to the market losses, basically over the last couple of weeks. You know, in the Wall Street Journal article, uh, they, they made a guess as to what the Federal Reserve was going to do at their meetings, the rest of the meetings this year. And their guess was that the, uh, according to what they're seeing, the bond market is betting on a three quarters of a percent increase in the federal funds rate at their September, I think it's the 20th, 21st uh, of September meeting. And that'll be followed by increases in their November and December meetings to finish the year with the federal funds rate, uh, probably topped out at um, 4%. So it'll be uh, somewhere between three and three quarters and and 4%. So, uh, of course, you know, the the Federal Reserve uh, goes to great uh, lengths to make sure that they indicate that those decisions won't be made until the actual federal open market committee meeting. So these are main guesses in terms of uh, watching what the uh, the bond market is uh, doing. So even the uh, even the labor report uh, that came out yesterday from the Department of Labor uh, that should have been helpful you know, regarding the inflation concerns. You know, because it uh, uh, that was the job situation report, and uh, uh, for August, and that basically showed that uh, uh, payroll increased uh, only three hundred and fifteen thousand in August compared to five hundred and twenty six thousand in July. So, uh, ergo, the uh, the payroll increases are going down. 
Now, that should be good for uh, the inflation uh, concerns. It's also uh, showed an increase in the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate was down at, uh, I think it was 3.5%. Now it's uh, it jumped up to 3.7% in this latest report for August. And, uh, and then uh, the... Uh, in addition, the average annual, uh, average hourly earnings for all private non-farm employees rose ten cents an hour, or uh, uh, three tenths of one percent uh, for the month of August. So, uh, all those things should have been, and the, the three tenths of a percent was down from the five tenths of a percent uh, raised in July. So, all these things. Should have been good news in terms of fighting inflation, but uh, investors looked at it and they they said it's a kind of a Goldilocks uh, report in the sense that hey, it looks good, not too hot and not too cold, but uh, uh, deemed that the report was not bad enough to offset the uh, the Federal Reserve's probable rate increase of uh, well, they're talking one half to three quarters of one half percent. To three quarters of a percent at that September uh, 2021 uh, Federal Open Market Committee meeting. So I will talk about the details of that uh, employment situation report uh, later in the uh, show. And also, uh, along the, there was another report that came out this week. It was the JOLTS report. What is it? The job openings and allocation report. And uh, that's that's basically the job offerings, and that that comes out each month, and it's uh, <clears throat> it tells you what job offerings openings are they were available for the last day in uh, July. So oh, that report indicated that uh, the number of job openings in uh, July increased two hundred thousand above the job openings in June. So. They reported 11,239,000 uh, job offerings, which is over, uh, I think it's it close to twice the number of unemployed uh, people. So, uh, you know, so basically it showed that the labor market is still strong, and and uh, which the Federal Reserve looks at from the viewpoint, oh, okay, uh, we won't go strong enough to handle a recession. Uh, but uh, it's still strong, but it's, it's, it's according to the Department of Labor Jolts report and the Employment Situation report, uh, there are signs of slowing in the economy, even though that top jobs number uh, increased from uh, June to July. When you take a look at the numbers inside the report in terms of hiring uh, of this month versus last month, then you, you see that uh, uh, the labor market is uh, weakening. And another aspect of the economy that uh, is going to affect us is the manufacturing. You know, manufacturing is going great guns uh, all through the winter, and, uh, and now it's basically slowing down. In manufacturing, we have two Inputs. One is from the uh, the Institute of Supply Management, and basically the Institute of Supply Management um, they they uh, uh, pulse the executives in the supply uh, chain in terms of the manufacturing industries, and uh, and the the, the uh, question for them is uh, how is this month compared to last month in terms of uh, uh, new orders, shipments, uh, uh, prices paid, uh, uh, delivery schedules, employment, uh, work week, things of this nature. So there's a uh, they, they essentially pulse the uh, uh, the managers. The managers respond to these surveys and they put the numbers together and say, okay, how are we doing? And basically, what you're seeing is that the uh, U.S. manufacturers' activity growth uh, held up in August after slowing in the previous two months, but uh, uh, that happened because the new orders 
number of new orders increased, and uh, but I don't expect that to <clears throat> I don't expect that to uh, happen in the future. What you're going to see, what you've seen so far in the last three or four months, has been the orders number of orders is going down, down, down. Not precipitously, but they are going down. Part of it is due to a uh, uh, you know in in uh, uh, when we came back out of the COVID, people before the when we were in the COVID, people were spending all their money on uh, manufactured goods. But uh, now that we're out of the COVID, people are finding other uses for their money, like travel and and uh, restaurants and eating out and things of this nature. So. And the money allotted to manufacturing is going down, and also the the uh, the dollar, strong dollar, the dollar's up fifteen percent uh, in value over the last year. It's uh, uh it's hurting our exports. So in, in any case, uh, the the manufacturer, according to the Institute of Supply Manufacturing, uh, they're, they're seeing numbers that are at the lowest rate in more than two years. So manufacturing is beginning is coming down gradually, and and then these results uh, were confirmed independently with the uh, Standard and Poor uh, Global Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index, which utilizes an entirely different methodology. It's still both of those approaches are based upon uh, surveys from the uh, managers in the manufacturing industry. In other words, that gives them the the uh, jump on. It's, a, it's kind of a qualitative feel. It gives them the the latest results. Uh, that'll be followed up with uh, U.S. government reports from the Department of Commerce later, maybe a month later, in terms of the exact detail. You know, the the numbers to do decimal places and stuff like that. But they, they provide a qualitative number. And uh, basically, they're saying that uh, uh, the U.S. factory production uh, was down for a second month and uh, uh, second month running in August. And uh, with demand for goods having now fallen for three straight months. So we're going to talk about the manufacturing situation uh, later in the report, too. You know, the... The slowdown in, in the manufacturing goods was further verified by the Department of Commerce's uh, monthly full report on uh, manufacturer shipments, inventories, and orders for July. And that report showed that the factory orders for manufactured goods uh, decreased 1% in uh, July following nine consecutive monthly increases. So, uh, what you're, what you're going to start to see is, well, you know, what the what the Federal Reserve wanted was a a slowdown in the economy. The economy is running too hot; they wanted to slow it slow it down. So uh, you're seeing the results already. You saw the results last week in terms of uh, uh, the home construction and also home sales. Uh, these increased interest rates. Uh, or now the 30-year mortgage rate has gone from 3%. I think the latest is 5.8%. Uh, and uh, so that's uh, that's slowing down uh, home new home construction. It's also slowing down uh, home sales. That's not to say that the prices are slowing down. Uh, in fact, the prices are really looking healthy and uh, high. In other words, we're healthy in terms of uh, price increases for homes. And uh, regarding that, we'll also take a look at the Standard & Poor um, Case-Shiller Home Price Index for June. It's gotten a little bit outdated, but it's a very thorough report in the sense that they take a look at different uh, uh, home prices in 20 sectors in the United States, 20 Metropolitan areas in Cleveland is one of them, and uh, it basically shows that uh, home price growth slowed in June as higher mortgage mortgage rates made home ownership less affordable. 
And uh, according to the, uh, the standard and poor, poor logic, Case-Shiller National Home Price Index, there's a mouthful, uh, which measures the average home price in major metropolitan areas across the nation, it rose 18% in the year that ended in June, and that was down from 19.9% annual rate the previous month. So basically what what we'll talk about when we get to that point is uh, the results show that even though the prices have gone up, in fact, according to uh, what you're going to see in that report, is the prices were almost up to uh, 20% year-over-year increases in the house uh, prices. But uh, what you're seeing is the prices have begun to decelerate. They're not going to go up as as high as as they as fast as they did before. So it doesn't mean that home prices are coming down. That just means that they're not going up as fast. And we'll get into the details of that later too. And all of these things give us an idea of you know what the economy is seeing and that the economy what the economy does impacts our jobs and impacts our pay and, and uh, um, the ability to save and the ability to meet our goals. And it also impacts our investments in terms of uh, stocks and bonds and things of this nature. And, and what we've seen so far is that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, our investments have taken, are taking a beating uh, because of these increases in the uh, interest rates. In the case of the stocks, the stocks are taking a beating because uh, the uh, uh, fear that the fear from the investors that the um, the interest rates are going to cause a, a recession, and uh, uh, that happened hasn't happened so far. But uh, they're just you know they're trying to anticipate, and uh, um, the uh, bonds are taking a beating strictly because as the interest rates go up, uh, the value of the bonds uh, suddenly, the the value of the bonds that are out there goes down. And that's because uh, uh, you're suddenly uh, increasing the uh, interest rates on the new bonds. And people take a look at the new bonds, the coupons on the new bonds, versus the coupons on the old bonds. And they say, well, the old bonds, even though they're, they're marked a thousand dollars, and you're going to get a thousand dollars when you trade them in, maybe ten, fifteen years in the future, uh, if you had to get rid of them tomorrow, they would be less. So that's driving the value of the bond prices down. So we're getting hit with a double whammy in that regard. But the, the idea here is that's happening in the economy. And that's happening in the investment realm. But the most important thing that we can possibly put our attention on is uh, your own financial plan. That is uh, uh, how you sat down and, uh, you know, as a family and uh, develop your plans uh, in terms of uh, the uh, standard of living, in terms of the future goals, the new jobs. Uh, new locations, new homes, uh, the uh, uh, retirement planning, planning for school, all the school for the youngsters, all of those things. Uh, you can put them on a piece of paper and say, hey, this is uh, uh, this would be perfect if I could meet all these goals. And you basically have to meet all those goals. It's just a matter of uh, uh, what the price is going to be. And how you how you can uh, allocate your income, your paycheck, and uh, to uh, invest it and uh, use compound interest to to, to have those uh, dollars increase to the point where they're enough or sufficient uh, to meet those goals. So uh, that's basically what financial planning is all about, and. Uh, it's a matter of keeping an eye on the ball in terms of uh, how are things going on. As as your goal, have your goals plan, have your goals changed? 
the uh, certainly the the houses the, the interest rates and things of this nature are changing people's ideas and plans. Uh, this college loan thing is impacting uh, people in terms of it's causing more thought to go into uh, selecting a career uh, before you spend a hundred thousand uh, dollars. Basically, if you take a look at the state schools, you're basically looking at a hundred thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars a year between tuition and uh, room and board, and uh, so you're looking at hundred thousand dollar investment for a uh, uh, college education for the youngsters. So uh, it's best to sit down with them. And, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of government information. I forget the exact name of the uh, report, but the, the government puts out a report on the labor, the careers. that basically identifies more careers than I ever knew existed. And uh, it shows you basically uh uh, what the requirements for that career are, whether it's a uh, uh, apprenticeship program or a uh, uh, an associate degree or uh, a degree, and what your starting pay will be approximately, and what your pay in uh, after about ten years would be in that particular career, and uh, so it basically lays it out so that you can assess, or the family can sit down. And it says, okay, uh, if you go through this particular, if that's what you, if that's what's interesting to you, and you uh, follow this uh, approach and attain this goal, uh, then it's going to cost you so much, and you're going to be able to uh, uh, kind of amortize that that investment over maybe like five years. And uh, there's some people that talk about student loans going out 20 years. I can't imagine that, but that's okay. Uh, you have to take a look and say, okay, you've got uh, a certain period of time when you've increased your earning capacity, but in order to do that, you've taken on your debt. Now, how long is it going to take you to pay off this debt? How much more are you going to make uh, with this uh, additional investment in your earning capabilities? How much more are you going to make to be able to pay off this debt in a reasonable period of time between five and ten years? So those are the things that you have to sit down with the youngsters about and all the other things that <laughs> you sit down and you talk to your youngsters about. Uh, it's difficult, I know, because uh, they think they know more than we do. But uh, to me, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's part of them growing up. So, uh, and that's basically what we do. So, whatever whatever you see that looks new to you, we've seen a thousand times before. Uh, so, this is Jim McAleese. You can give us a call. We have a toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. That number is 1-888-281-1110. Give us a call. We can talk. And uh, and talk about anything you want to. And uh, uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week, we take calls from people just like you who have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, however, Jim can't answer all your questions because of time restraints and the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstones Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstones Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, finding your next home, planning for retirement, finding the right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow with Jim McAleese.
Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number is one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. 1110 Jim, yeah. Kelly, gave us, yes. Kelly gave us a call oh. during the break. She called that mm-hmm. number, and she has a great question. Um, we have 401ks and IRAs, and she wants to know what different rules are there, if any, in taking required minimum distributions for the 401ks and IRAs. Okay, good question, because, hey, the, the basic rules, you know, in all these retirement accounts, the basic rules are, are approximately the same, but uh, there's individual specific rules for each one. The approximate uh, thing is that the government does want to uh, uh, get its taxes back. You know, it, it said, okay, you, you you didn't have to pay for the the uh, uh, taxes, but now we want our money, and we're happy to take it gradually from you. So the basic rules are similar. You have just have to be careful about the the differences. Uh, you generally must take your required minimum distributions uh, from your traditional IRAs and your 401ks every year after you turn uh, age 72. And basically, they all use the same uh, IRS life, life expectancy tables to calculate that amount. So, But there are differences in uh, how and when you take the money. So uh, you come. What you have to do is the first thing you have to calculate your required minimum distribution. In other words, the government says, "Hey, you've had the money. We didn't tax it, but we do want to, to get our taxes back <clears throat> before you. We don't want to wait till you die at age 110. So we'd like to start getting our taxes back at age 72, and uh, we're going to." Get it, get them back in what they call a required minimum distribution. To calculate that required minimum distribution, is the, that's the amount you have to take out of your retirement funds. They add up the balances of your uh, traditional IRAs as of uh, of uh, December 31st of the previous year, and they divide that by a number from the IRS uh, expectancy table and uh, and. Uh, then you have to take the money out of your uh, your uh, traditional IRAs, and you can take it out of one of the traditional IRAs, or you can take it out of each one of the uh, IRAs, each one of the uh, IRAs, or you just uh, portion it across the whole thing. But it basically boils down when you become seventy-two. Uh, there's a number that. Uh, you divide your your retirement amount in your uh, accounts as a, as of twelve thirty one of the previous previous year, and that number is approximately gives you approximately uh, a little bit less than four percent to start with when you're uh, uh, seventy two, and then that gradually that number gradually increases as you become older. For instance, it it might be approximately 4% when you start at age 72. By the time you get up to be 85, it might be 6.5%. And by the time you get to be, you know, 100, uh, it might be up to 15 or 20%. So uh, it gradually increases as you get older. So uh, what you do is for the IRA, and just uh, uh, gather them together, your tradition, I'm talking about your traditional IRA, so no. Those would be the ones you socked away at six or seven thousand dollars a year, or your rollover IRAs. You divide it by that number for the uh, life expectancy table, and then for your four hundred one k's, you have to calculate the required uh, distribution separately for each four hundred one k account. In other words, you can't scramble up all your if you got if you work at three different places. In your career, and you've got three different 401k accounts. You get, can't scramble them up. You just got to take it out from each one. And uh, there's a required minimum distribution for each account. And uh, basically, your your administrator, your full administrator, 
they'll, they'll automatically send you uh, the required amount, and uh, you'll know what the number is. And uh, and uh, basically, the question that comes up a lot of times is, hey, what happens if I'm still working? In other words, uh, if you're still working at age 72, uh, uh, you still have to t- take your required minimum distributions out of your traditional IRAs, uh, and you do have to take it out for your uh, uh, required minimum distribution out of your uh, 401ks, but the, you don't have to take the required minimum distribution from the current employer's 401k, and so after you leave your job, you know, so if you're still working, you got a 401k at work, you don't have to take the required minimum distribution from that 401k. But if you've got other 401ks from other corporations, then you've got to take it from those. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, once you leave that job, uh, then you do have to start taking your required minimum distribution. So, uh, and uh, so, and also, there's another restriction. If you own the company, uh, <laughs> if you own the company, you, you have to take the required minimum distributions uh, out of your the company's 401k. If I own the company, I mean, if you own more than 5% of the company. Okay, then you've got your, uh, your Roth uh, IRAs, and you don't have to take, you do not have to take required minimum distributions from your Roth IRAs, but there's there's some people have Roth 401ks. And uh, uh, the Roth 401ks, you do have to take uh, required minimum distributions. And but in any case, in, in both cases, the Roth IRA and the and the uh, Roth 401k, you don't pay taxes on those required minimum distributions. In other words, they just the government says you got to take it out of those retirement accounts and you got to put them into a uh, uh, an after tax account. Uh, we call it the Bill Gates <laughs> tax account. So the place where you're gonna uh, you're gonna start to see capital gains taxes and things of this nature in the future. So um, the the idea here is that uh, you could also one thing that a lot of my clients do nowadays is they they have this uh, qualified charitable distribution uh, where once you're over age seventy and a half, uh, you can transfer a hundred k, hundred thousand dollars each year from your IRA to uh, uh, to uh, charity tax free, and uh, wouldn't that be great? You know, <laughs> the, the priest or minister would love to see. $100,000, and the good part about that is the amount that you transfer to charity uh, counts as your R&D, but isn't included, is not included in your uh, adjusted gross income. So that's that's the great part about it. Uh, in the old days, if you wanted to give money to charity from your retirement account, now uh, you'd have to take the money out as, as part of your required minimum distribution, and then if you wanted to say, well, I want to give uh, two thousand or five thousand or ten thousand dollars to the church or something, synagogue, uh, you'd have to pay taxes on that money and that you took out of the retirement accounts, and then you give after-tax money to the charity. Okay, now they've simplified it and says, hey. If you take out the money, uh, you make sure that the money goes uh, directly to the charity, not through you, but from wherever your brokerage account or the mutual fund that goes to the charity. And uh, uh, that counts as part of your required minimum distribution, but you won't pay taxes on it. Uh, for an example, if you had to take out $20,000, and uh, that was your required minimum distribution, and you wanted to give uh, $5,000 to the church or a charity. Uh, you just fill out some forms and that uh, uh, the $20,000 would come out. 5000 of that would go 
to the church or charity, and the other fifteen thousand dollars would go to you, and you'd have to pay. You had to put that down on your your ten forty as earned income and pay taxes on it. But you wouldn't be paying taxes on that five uh, k that went off to the uh, charity or the church. So uh, I hope that answers uh, your question, Kelly. If it doesn't, call us back. You know we're here. So the number here is one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese, and you were just listening to my theme song. (laughs) One of the radio stations in town, they play that on a Friday, I think it's on a Friday afternoon, and uh, it it really, I mean, it's so nonsensical that, uh, hey, you got to feel happy when you're here. To me, it's, it's, hey, it gets you ready for the weekend. And uh, let's talk about uh, some of the things we talked about earlier in the show. That was uh, the the employment situation report. That came out from the Department of Labor. And that uh, essentially takes a look at the uh, the, uh, the uh, jobs, the payrolls increases that happened during August. and. Uh, so yesterday, the Department of Labor, uh, they put out the employment situation report for August, and uh, the report showed that um, U.S. employers uh, added slightly more jobs than forecast, uh, and the uh, unemployment rate uh, rose from its five-decade low. So uh, it basically shows that non-farm payroll increased 315000 uh, in uh, August, uh, following the uh, 526,000 uh, jobs created in uh, July, so and uh, uh, the uh, the month before in June it was 293,000. So in June, 293,000, uh, the payroll increased by 293,000 in July. 526,000, and then in August it came down to 315,000. So, uh, you know, the original estimate for that, uh, the guesstimate or estimate, was 290,000. So it did exceed it. Uh, in addition, the total non farm payroll uh, employed for both June and July were revised downward. In other words, originally in uh, June, the uh, job situation reported the increase in payroll was 398,000. They revised that down by revised that down to 293,000. And in July, they originally reported uh, uh, 528,000, and they they uh, revised that down to 526,000. So. Basically, uh, the combined reduction uh, was uh, showed that we had 107,000 fewer jobs than originally uh, published for June and uh, July. And uh, uh, basically, we're seeing that so far this year, uh, including uh, August, uh, the average monthly increase has been. 441,500 jobs per month, which is pretty healthy. Uh, last year, it was 555,000. And uh, basically what you're seeing is that the gain in payroll uh, was led by professional and business services and healthcare and the uh, retail trade. And they, they also saw 
that the labor force participation uh, rose, and uh, it rose from 62.1 in July to 62.4 in uh, August. And uh, if we compare that to, uh, you know, uh, what we saw last month, last month, uh, let's let's compare to pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, and this this would be for let's say for January of 2020. What we saw at that time was that the unemployment rate was 3.5 percent, and the number of unemployed was 5.7 million. And uh, last month, for July, we saw that unemployment rate uh, go down to 300 to 3.5 percent. And we saw the number of unemployed go down 5.7 million. So in July, we had a, the economy had achieved uh, all the losses that uh, we saw during the COVID, and we come back up to snuff there. In August, this latest report, uh, the unemployment rate went up uh, uh, from 3.5 to 3.7. And the number of unemployed uh, went up from 5.7 to 6.0 percent, and that was basically because of the uh, increase in the uh, participation rate. So more people uh, hopped into the labor market, and uh, what you're seeing is that uh, um, manufacturing, uh, let's say, um, non-farm payroll increased. 315,000 in August, and uh, professional and business services added uh, 68,000 jobs, uh, and uh, computer systems in that 68,000 computer systems design and related activities accounted for 14,000, management and technical consultants, 13,000, architectural and engineering services. 10,000 scientific research and development, 6,000. Uh, the only the only thing that seemed to go down was legal services. Legal services lost 9,000. I'm sure they they probably got uh, um, you know increased before all the rest of these people did. Uh, healthcare healthcare employment rose by 48,000 in August and. Uh, and I've got 48,000, 15,000 were uh, physician offices, uh, 15,000 was in hospitals, and the other 12,000 was in nursing and residential care facilities. So basically, what you're seeing is that uh, uh, healthcare has added 412,000 jobs over the year. And uh, uh, despite that, they're still below the February 2020 level by about 37,000 jobs. Another thing, another place, retail sales added 44,000, and uh, uh, they've added 422,000 jobs over the last 12 months. And um, the, uh, of the of the 44,000 uh, general merchandise stores added 15,000, food and beverages added 15. Health and personal services, 10,000. Building material and garden supplies, 7,000. Manufacturing uh, employment added 22,000. Durable goods uh, predominating uh, with an addition 19,000. The non-durable goods, uh, you've got a lot of uh, mechanized, uh, you've got a lot of uh, robotics and machinery and the mechanized. In the in the non-durable goods, that's that's uh, food preparations, you know, and, and uh, uh, oil refining and, and plastics and things of this nature. So financial activity at seventeen thousand jobs, wholesale trade at fifteen thousand, mining that is six thousand jobs. So what you're seeing in mining is that. Uh, Fracking, uh, they're getting back to fracking in the uh, the uh, Texas area, and basically what they're seeing is that uh, hey, there's a big demand for oil and natural gas, and 
uh, the 6,000 jobs that mostly involved in uh, the fracking operations supporting those. Uh, leisure and hospitality. Uh, leisure and hospitality has been bulking up, and in August, they only increased by 31,000. What you're seeing right now is if you go to a restaurant, things of this nature, um, you know, the restaurants are having uh, one hell of a time in terms of uh, uh, they've got a lot more customers than they're used to, you know, pre-COVID, and our, uh, COVID, comparing it to COVID times. they got a lot more customers, a lot less help, and they're in the midst of training. Uh, uh, they're training now. They're training the servers, they're training the bartenders, they're training the, the cooks. So it's... Uh, <laughs> It's a it's a nightmare operation if you're trying to manage one of these restaurants. So, leisure and hospitality, uh, they only increased uh, thirty one thousand, and uh, <clears throat> they've been averaging monthly gains of ninety thousand uh, for the first seven months of the year, uh, but they're still uh, down one point two million. Uh, jobs. This is if you compare it to February of 2020. So what you're seeing is that uh, the uh, average uh, hourly earnings for all employees uh, in private non-farm payrolls then increased 10 cents per hour uh, to $32.36. That was an increase of three-tenths of one percent for the uh, month and uh, 5.2% over the last 12 months. And uh, with uh, employment increasing like the economy, uh, the uh, uh, the report is bad news for the Federal Reserve in, turn, uh, in terms of stamping out inflation by raising the interest rate. The jobs, uh, uh, the job just got harder, meaning that, hey, there's, there's, People are uh, becoming employed. People are having money to spend. People are spending it. So uh, good news for us, bad news for the Federal Reserve, and bad news for our investment. Uh, we're seeing, and I mentioned the job openings uh, report. The job openings report are basically, it is a report from June, and they say, hey, there's more jobs out there than you can, anybody could possibly uh, think about filling. And then there's the Institute of Supply Management. And the Institute of Supply Management basically says that uh, that the uh, U.S. manufacturing sector grew in uh, August. They, uh, uh, they came down. What they do in, the, in that particular instance is they grind all these comments from the Executives in the manufacturing industry, they get to grind them all up, and uh, and they come up with a index number. If the index number is fifty. That means it's kind of neutral. We're not expanding. We're not contract uh, contracting in manufacturing. If it's greater than fifty, uh, manufacturing is expanding. If we're less than fifty, uh, the industry is contracting. And what they're showing is that it came in at fifty-two point. Uh, eight, and uh, what you're seeing is, is some of the respondents, uh, computer electronics people say demand from customers is still strong, but much of that is because it's still fear not not getting products due to constraints. So this is Jim McAleese. This is to get rich. Okay, <laughs> okay. Well, let me let me. Uh, Tell you about some of the other comments we heard in terms of the uh, uh, the people that responded. Um, the chemical uh, products people said uh, sales in Target business softening month over month. It is down twelve percent by revenue. Uh, the uh, yeah, inventories are increasing. Uh, another thing: transportation equipment strong sales continue. The impact of the chip shortage is slowing. And the decrease in COVID-19 resurgence in Asia is now affecting production more than ships. Uh, according to petroleum and coal products, supply in most groups is slowly increasing, but demand appears 
and it appears to be outpacing, causing prices to either stabilize or increase. Uh, and uh, uh, non-metallic material products overall, I see much improvement in the availability of raw materials. However, trucking issues continued and production capacity within some industries remain tight. So there's all sorts of issues and problems in the industry. So uh, it, it, it's a difficult task. So this is Jim McAleese. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. You know, we're all as busy as bees, and in our hectic world, we need to take the time. Well, take time to do what? Well, take time to pray. It helps to bring God near and washes the dust of earth from our eyes. You also have to take time for friends. They're the source of happiness. You also have to take time for work. It's the price of success. Then, take time to think. It's the source of power. Take time to read. It's the foundation of knowledge. Take time to laugh. It's the singing that helps with life's loads. And then take time to love. It is the one sacrament of life. Take time to dream. It basically hitches the souls to the stars. And then take time to play. It take play is the secret of youth. And take time, if you love someone, take time to tell them you love them. No matter how inconvenient, stop the merry-go-round for just a moment. And if you love them, let them know. And always believe that something wonderful is going to happen. Even with all the ups and downs, never... Never take a day for granted. Always be on the lookout for someone to, to help, someone to help with their, their problems or their issues or their concerns. So, and until we meet again next week for more Get the Slow, may God protect you and keep you safe. been listening to Get Rich Slow with Jim McAleese of Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., located at 47149 Bursley Road, Wellington, Ohio, 44090, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc., the materials Jim shares is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Past performance does not guarantee future performance. All the views expressed are those of James McAleese and Cornerstones Consultants, Inc., and not those of Next Financial Group, Inc. Next Financial Group does not provide tax advice. The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index composed of the common stocks of 500 leading companies and leading industries of the U.S. economy. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price weighted index of 30 actively traded blue chip stocks. To make an appointment with Jim regarding your own finances, call 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. The preceding program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.